like I've done this already. Amy said, well, maybe it'll be better the second time. Maybe you'll get all the kinks out. Maybe it'll be shorter. (laughs) We will see how this transpires. But know this, brothers and sisters, God is in control. And that's what we're talking about today from uh, Genesis 24. Uh, I didn't, I didn't change the title until it was too late. So they heard uh, Faith and Seeking a Spouse. So uh, be glad that that's not what you hear today. <laughs> Same sermon. <laughs> all right, we're not going to read all of Genesis 24, which is a very good thing because it's 67 verses. So hear this portion of God's word this morning. Now Abraham was old and well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred, and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from them. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of the master's camels, and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he rose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today. Show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman do whom I say, Please, let down your your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. And then up to uh, 62. Now Isaac had returned from Be'er, Lahai, Roy, and was dwelling in the Negeb. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac 
brought her into the tent of Sarah his mother and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Let's pray. Father, sometimes uh, you and your word confuse us. There are things that we really want to know, and yet uh, you do not tell us those things. There are things that we, in our foolishness, think are unimportant, but you spend a lot of time on. So help us to submit to you this morning as we spend time on a seemingly unimportant matter. Build our confidence in you that we might bring you glory as we live by your grace. We ask this in the name of Jesus, whom you did not spare, but gave for us and for our salvation. Amen. Don't know if you've heard, there's a new Matt Damon movie coming out. It's interesting in this respect, it's called the Adjustment Bureau, and the plot line of this movie is that Matt Damon is, I think he's a politician, doesn't matter, but he meets this girl, but he wasn't supposed to meet this girl. And it has thrown all of the future off. And so there is this group of beings, I'm not sure exactly what they are, but they are the Adjustment Bureau, and they're sent to put things back on the proper Continuum of space and time. He's messed up the future. Yeah, it'll mess with your head, won't it? We like these movies, or at least some of them are popular, that deal with this question of free will, fate, providence. That kind of wrestle with all of these ideas. One of my favorite movies is Simon Birch. And uh, it takes a very different approach, I think, than what the Adjustment Bureau will take. And little Simon... Uh, has been born with a birth defect, but he believes that he is here for a reason. He has a special purpose. And what, he doesn't know what it is, but he knows that one day he will fulfill that special purpose in God's providence. And then you have movies like The Matrix. And it's so much about that fate and free will and uh, this, all the debates that kind of go on there, and it actually gets bogged down because of it. Just show me fighting, man. Let's get it over with. It's nice for us to speculate about these things, but eventually they have to, we get to these questions, we get to these places in our lives. What job am I going to take? How am I going to get a job? How am I going to find a spouse? All of these sort of questions bring us to that place where we have to really understand God's providence. And, and this text is about that. Yes, it's about Isaac getting a wife, but it's about more than that. It's also about, among other things, a transfer, an authority from Abraham to Isaac. If you note, at the, at the beginning, he is Abraham's servant. But at the end of the story, he says of Isaac, he is my master. The story is about to change focus. The only thing left in the life of Abraham is for him to die, which we'll look at next week. Okay, so we're seeing sort of a, a change of the guard that takes place over the context of this passage of Scripture. The big idea, however, of this sermon is going to be that God guides and provides to accomplish his good purposes. He both guides and provides to accomplish his good purposes. And as I told uh, Dove Mountain this morning, I don't have three points. I get four points, so hang in there. Because this begs for four points. 
first of those is that God guides by the promises of the covenant. As I said, this is one of the longest stories in Genesis. It's not just one of the longest chapters. It is one of the longest stories. The only story that's longer, really, is the flood. Okay? Um, and, and there's a lot of repetition that goes on in this, just like there was with the flood. Things get repeated over again. And, in fact, we're really glad that at the end, when it says that his, the servant told Isaac everything that happened, that Moses didn't put it down again. Okay? Because he'd already done that twice. So it could have been longer. All right. But that says to Israel, pay attention. This is important. Okay. So let's pay attention this morning because this is important. But we start off with Isaac, who's nearly 40. And like many uh, young men today, uh, he's a live-at-home bachelor. Okay. Uh, and this this is poses a problem to God's promise in a lot of ways. Because this is the one through whom God said that your offspring will be reckoned. This is the one who's going to inherit the promises. This is the one through whom your offspring will be like the stars in the sky. And he doesn't have a wife yet. And he's pushing 40. Okay, So the, the, the promise is threatened by bachelorhood. <laughs> If you can believe it. Okay? And so Abraham, as he thinks about this, really focuses upon the promises and the commands of the covenant. And we're going to kind of interact with that a little bit. Remember, from Genesis 1, we talked about John Frame and the three attributes of lordship of God. And the first of them being authority. And that's here, Abraham is trying to live under the authority of God in pursuing a spouse for his son. Now, I didn't do this part in Dove Mountain, but I'll do it here. There are aspects of this that are prescriptive, meaning this is what we should do, and there are aspects of this that are descriptive. This is what Abraham did, but you don't have to do exactly this. Okay? Dads, you don't have to go find a spouse for your sons. You can... Okay? But you don't have to. There are numerous ways in which this can play out. Okay? I'm not one of those guys who thinks that there's only one way Christians should get, you know, should get married. Okay? There are a variety of ways. Okay? Alright, that's out of the way. Let's go. The first aspect of this that, that God, I'm sorry, Abraham is reckoning with God's promises and covenant is that Isaac should not marry any of the corrupt Canaanite women. Okay? God has already said they're going to be wiped out when their sin reaches its full. Okay, when it's complete and it's mature, they're going to they're going to be destroyed. Okay, this is not about the fact that they're a different group, that they're a different ethnic background, that they're a different culture. That's not what is going on here at all. And if we read that into it, I think we've really missed the point. The point is their sinfulness. The point is that they worship other gods, and in their worship of those other gods, they debase themselves. Part of the covenant that, that God made with Abraham was that he would walk blamelessly before the Lord his God, and that he would teach his children to walk blamelessly before the Lord their God. And he does not want his son to marry a woman who's going to keep him from walking blamelessly, who is going to corrupt him potentially. 
And so this is about the fact that they were not believers in Yahweh. Okay? This is not that they're the wrong race. So uh, if you hear someone trying to teach you what's called kinism from this text, and kinism is the idea that people should marry according to their own kind. White people marry white people. Black people marry black people. Indian people marry Indian people. Uh, that's not what the Scriptures teach. What the Scriptures teach is we marry according to our faith. That is the issue that is here in this text. Okay? Now, Israel needed to know this. The, the text that Marty read for us this morning was the warning. When you get in the land, don't marry the women there. Why? Because they'll lead you into apostasy. What happened? That very thing happened. They started to take wives from among the Canaanites and the surrounding peoples. They began to worship their gods. They forsook the Lord, their God, who brought them out of Egypt, and they brought disaster upon themselves, which resulted in the exile. Okay? So the warning was there for them, and the Israelites didn't listen. This warning is there for us as well. We find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If we seek a spouse, they must belong to the Lord. They must be His person, His servant, changed by His grace. And so many Christians, just like the Israelites, though, compromise. Amy and I, over the years, have been disheartened by people we know and love who are tired of waiting. We can understand that. We got married late. We waited. Okay? Not by choice. <laughs> okay? But they get so tired of waiting that they compromise. And they marry someone who does not worship Jesus. That's not the way it's supposed to be, brothers and sisters. Um, not the way it's supposed to be. And I'll cut my, that story out. And we'll move on. Secondly, Isaac shouldn't leave the promised land. Abraham is very adamant about this. Well, what if she doesn't want to come back? Should I bring Isaac out there? And Abraham says, no, the Lord gave this to me. He promised on oath that this is going to belong to my offspring. He's afraid that if, Abraham, if Isaac leaves, he might not come back. Okay, He's trying to live according to the promise. And so the promise indicates that he is to keep Isaac here in the land and to bring the woman to him. Okay? Let me come to the weird part. Put your hand under my thigh and swear. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not Abraham's servant. I don't want him to put my hand under any guy's thigh, you know? It's just <laughs> not what I want to do. But that was, we don't understand. I mean, the, the commentators really don't understand why this was significant and yet, this was a common practice in the swearing of an oath. But he wants him again to swear by the Lord, the maker of heaven and the maker of earth. The one who has power and authority. The one who was able to control all things. He wants his household manager to take this binding oath. And that is, go back to my home country. Get a woman from there and return. Now, this is no small promise. Okay? The part of Mesopotamia that he has to go to is about 400 miles away. Okay, imagine for a moment, I said, Daniel, here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to take 10 camels and go to San Diego. Are you excited about that? No. <laughs> okay. That's about the... <laughs> it is San Diego. But he's not going in a car. <laughs> it is going across desert. And there are dangers there, robbers and all kinds of uh, dangers that are there. The servant is going is not on an easy trip. It's not hopping on a plane and flying up to Heron and coming back with a woman. Okay? Dangerous stuff. And San Diego is about the right distance. So, um, But all of this sort of communicates to us, and I think Ian Duguid summed it up well, that uh, basic guidance starts with God's covenant. God's faithful, obey. Reckon with his, with his commands and his promises. Reve his revealed will. If you have a question about what you should do for a living, uh, where you should do it, whom you should marry, the first thing, what does God say about this? Does he have any, does he have anything in his revealed will that should guide me in this process? There will be some things he will say and some things he won't say. Okay? One of the things he says about marriage? A Christian. Okay. So God has not left us to our own foolishness, our own wisdom, but rather he uses the covenant to guide our choices in this process. Secondly, God not only guides, but God provides for his purposes through providence in due time. Abraham is exp expressing a whole lot of faith here. Abraham knows that he is not alone in this, and he knows that his servant is not alone in this. And if he were to sit down with us and talk to us, he would know that you are not alone in this. Okay? God ordains the what's of your life, but he also ordains the how's of your life. Meaning, he ordains what will happen, and he ordains how it's going to happen. The Westminster Confession of Faith talks about this in terms of whatsoever happens has been ordained by God, but he also ordains the means by which it happens, the secondary causes by which it happens. He establishes them rather than taking them away. And if we go back to John Frame, here we see God's control, but also his presence as Lord in the text. Because Abraham says, the God who promised this to me, he's going to send his angel before you. God was going to go with the servant, and he was going to make it successful. He was going to bring about the desired end. Abraham had confidence that this would take place. The original audience, the Israelites, would, when they're about to enter the promised land, and Moses says, God's angel will go before you, should immediately go, have gone, Oh, wait a minute, we've heard about that. <laughs> Isaac, the angel, went before the servant of, of uh, Abraham and found the spouse for Isaac. That same angel who was successful there is going to go before us when we enter the promised land, and he's going to drive out these people before us, and we will be successful not because of our strength, but because of the presence of God's angel, the messenger of the Lord. And so we as Christians, we have God's Spirit. His presence and the power of His Holy Spirit 
to accomplish his purposes, his will. We are not left alone, just like they were not left alone. So, Abraham says this. Later on in the story, we see that the, the servant has realized it's true. <laughs> he says, the Lord has led me. He's recounting this to Laban. He says, the reason I'm here is that the Lord has led me in all of these things. He knew that God was at work in all the details. It was not an accident. It was not by, done by chance. But God had accomplished this thus far. And he wants Laban and Laban's father to know that it was not just Abraham's idea, that it was not his own idea. He is sharing how God works so that they will be, they will get on board, so to speak. And in fact, that's exactly what happens. They both say, this is from the Lord. They're recognizing God's sovereignty, God's providence, God being at work in this, that this is not a chance meeting at a well that takes place, but God arranged it. Sometimes it's not that clear to us. Sometimes we're before the well. We haven't gotten there yet. And it's... Well, the long, like the long line of women who said no to me, okay? Or the long line of churches that said no. You begin to wonder, and I think you all understand this. You've all been there in different ways. You all begin to wonder, what's going on? That's why we must look to the cross, before it is only at, it is only at the cross that we see that God is not against us, though this didn't turn out the way we wanted it to, but ultimately He is for us and He is working for our our good, precisely because Christ has died to redeem us. And so we have an advantage over Abraham and Isaac and the Israelites and all of this. He declares, the cross declares that God's purposes for us in providence are good. It declares that God cares more for us in His glory than Abraham cared for Isaac. And he cared for him a lot. It's precious to him, the son that he loved. Okay, And it's when we neglect the God of providence that we begin to be filled with the fear, the anxiety, the despair, the, des- the, the desire for control over our circumstances. When we start to fade God out of this picture and think, you know, He's not for me. He's not, He's not even around. That's when we begin to be overcome by the temptation to doubt and despair and control. Okay. Been there. Done that. Don't want the t-shirt anymore. Okay. But we see that God leaves nothing to chance. He, he works all things to accomplish His purposes. So we see that God provides by the promises of the covenant. God, prov- sorry, guides by the promises of the covenant. Provides for His purposes in providence in due time. We also see that faith, properly understood, promotes proactivity, not passivity. Now, there are people who wrestle with this doctrine of providence. 
You may have wrestled with it in the past. Some of you may be wrestling with it right now. Some of you may be thinking in your, set, your head, Steve is crazy. Okay? And one of the two, the two objections that tend to come up are, this makes us robots or puppets on a string. You know, Rush has a few songs like that. They really don't like that. Um, or it makes us incredibly passive, which is what the Arminians say. Well, if God ordains those uh, to salvation, then why, why do you evangelize? Because God has ordained some to salvation. <laughs> and he also ordains how they come to salvation, and that is through the preaching of the message of Jesus Christ. So anyway, these are the objections that arise, and we see that, that in this text, even though God is in control, in this story we find that everyone here is making choices and taking risks. They are not passive. They're not watching the boat go by. They are engaged with what is transpiring. It starts with Abraham. By faith, Abraham said to his servant, go. Okay? He takes the initiative by sending the servant 400 miles away. I think of when Amy and I met. Aha, I got her attention now. (laughs) Why did we meet? Because she came. She lived in New Jersey. She called one of her old friends that she'd gone to to, uh, college with, and in the course of the conversation, oh, you're going to a new church. Any single guys there, just sort of as a joke, like not really serious. And they said, oh, by the way, the pastor is. Okay. And Amy could have said, oh, that's nice. But she decided to visit her friends. And she showed up at our Valentine's Day party to see a pastor dressed as a, a uh, game show host from the 1970s with a really ugly blazer and a fat, ugly tie. <laughs> it's a miracle we're married, isn't it? It's God's providence. Okay? A proactivity that's work. And, and I had to reciprocate that proactivity. I had to call her. New Jersey, Atlanta. I had to hunt her down. Okay? So, there's a proactivity that, that takes place there. We see that the servant also is proactive. He takes provisions for the long trip. Okay? He's not expecting God to, you know, Provide 7-Elevens along the way so we can, we can restock. He's ready for the trip. Not only is he ready for the trip, he's ready for the trip to be successful because he's bringing a dowry. He's got money. He's got jewelry that he's ready to give to the father of the woman that will marry his master's son. He's ready. He's not going to be like, oh, I'm successful. Let me go back. <laughs> 400 miles and come back again. He's ready. Okay. The servant, or rather, the servant also prays. He not only prepares, but he prays. Okay? He tangibly shows his dependence upon God's favor. He knows that the only way that this will be successful is if God shows up and if God has steadfast love for his servant Abraham and his servant Isaac. He's banking on the love of God, on the faithfulness of God, 
And that's what he's praying. Help me to be successful. Okay? Not only that, but think of where all this transpires. The well. He didn't hide out by a tree somewhere thinking, send her to me, God. He goes to where people are, the well, at the right time. Okay? So the the proactivity, there's some wisdom that is here. He's not expecting God to produce a woman out of the desert sand or off of a palm tree or anything like that. He's going to where people are. All right? That proactivity. I think of my first job out of college. A friend of mine had uh, said, hey, you know, we're hiring a bookkeeper. Let me see your resume. And I gave him my resume. Didn't hear anything for a week or so. And I I called, and the guy I was supposed to to, uh, talk with wasn't in, so I left the message and left it at that. And then something else came up uh, that took up my time, and I had stopped looking for a while, okay, because I was planning some special event for our church. And then I had one of those very unpresbyterian moments about a month or two later. Okay, don't report me to Presbyterian now. I wasn't a Presbyterian then. I was at a prayer meeting, and at the end of after our prayer, this guy who I'd never met before and I would never meet ever again came up to me and said, Steve, while you were praying for a job, I believe God told me that you're waiting on him, but he's waiting on you. Start looking. Taking that to heart, I started looking and trying to send out resumes. And then the phone rang. And it was the guy in Boston who said, you know, I found this note on my desk buried under a bunch of stuff because I was cleaning my desk today. Do you want to meet tomorrow? And I had a job. Proactivity is important. Passivity will get you nowhere. Okay? It's not just that, but we also see Rebecca herself agrees to the marriage. There's another thing that the Westminster Confession of Faith says when it talks about providence, that God ordains whatsoever comes to pass, yet does not do violence to the will of the creature. That's the mystery. How he does that, I don't really know. She is willing to go. She's willing to go 400 miles away to a place she's never seen, to a man she's never met, and leave behind everything she knows. That's why Calvin and others say she she is acting on faith. This is a lot like Genesis 12 and the call of Abraham. She's being called out of Haran and into the promised land by this proposal of marriage. Similarly, Israel had to be proactive to enter the land. They were not to sit on the banks of the Jordan with their pina colada, or whatever it is they would drink, and say, okay, God, we're waiting. Get rid of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Arabites and all the otherites that are over there. They had to cross the river. They had to be obedient. They had to be proactive when he said to go. So there's a proactivity that's very important. We misunderstand providence when we think it means we do nothing. 
And so providence should create a confidence in us to move ahead in dependence upon God, not to achieve our will, but ultimately to achieve his purpose and will. Fourth and final point, home stretch. Faith prepares by maturing in grace. I have, in, I have for marriage in there, so you can change it to something else too. Because the same thing for a vocation. You have to prepare for a vocation. Uh, whatever it is. If you're going to be a homeowner, you've got to prepare because someone's going to ask you for a whole lot of money up front. Okay. This idea of the fleece. He's at the well and he prays and he lays down a thing called the fleece. And uh, I'm not so big on fleeces. Okay, that's not really a way to kind of live your life before God, but he does do this. But his fleece is not arbitrary. It's not, Lord, may the, the first girl who has a blue dress be the one for me or for Isaac. It's not like that. His is, may the girl who responds to my request for a water say, may I also water your camels. The heart of a servant. He's looking for character. He's looking for someone who is not selfish. Though she is, according to this text, exceedingly beautiful, she has a servant's heart. That's why one of the things I kept having to remind myself because I'm an American male. I'm sinful, and I see what's on TV, and I had to keep reminding myself from Proverbs. Beauty is fleeting. Charm is deceitful. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Guys, girls, because girls can do this too, we can be deceived by physical beauty. We must look to the heart and see the character. That's what really matters. Physical beauty, icing on the cake. What matters is character. That's the most important thing. And so, she was ready to be married even though she was very, very young. And I read recently someone kind of putting it this way. Don't look for the right one. Be the right one. Simon Birch, those of you who are familiar with the story. Little Simon, remember his little special purpose that he wasn't sure what it was? He didn't know why, but he and his friend, his best friend, they would go to the dock by the lake, and he would dive into the water, and he would practice holding his breath. He didn't know why, and it wasn't like, I know why, but he liked to do this. He liked to hold, see how long he could hold his breath, and his friend was always exasperated because he's the one on top of the water having to count. You know, there we go again. And as it turns out in the story, there's an accident. And the church bus ends up going into the frozen lake and collapsing into the water. And it is Simon who was able, because he practiced holding his breath for all those times, to go deep into the water and to rescue someone trapped in the bus. Something that ultimately kills him. And yet, his special purpose was fulfilled. He prepared for that day that God would use him 
And so we should prepare for those days when God will use us. We see Isaac doing this as well. When he, when, when he first sees him, he is out in the field one evening to meditate. He's preparing himself spiritually. Okay? Marriage is hard when you're mature. Okay? You older folks, is marriage easy? Anyone think they got an easy marriage? No takers. Okay. When you're not mature, it's explosive. It is dangerous. Some of you wonder how you made it through those early years, don't you? I look back and I think of the people I wanted to marry. And and sometimes I go, man, I'm glad I didn't marry them. But ultimately what I look back on and say, I wasn't ready to be married. The reason she had to wait so long was because I was not ready, ultimately. And so, you know, yesterday I'm, I'm helping someone move, and uh, I'm driving through the parking lot as I'm going, and I was talking to Amy on the phone, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Here are these college-age guys with remote-control cars. If I'm about to offend you, I'm sorry. But part of me said, grow up! Put away the childish things. I'm sorry, Steve. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But we have what we part. <laughs> Mark Driscoll is so dead on with this. Part of what we have in American culture right now is a generation of men who have not grown up. They are still boys. Ladies, do you want to marry a boy? Yeah, do you want to be a babysitter? Do you want to be a mom to your husband? Guys need to grow up and be ready. Took me way too long. Okay? And that's why it took me way too long. And so we need to mature in grace so that we're ready to be married when that when it finally comes, and we're not going to kill that person with our stubbornness and our selfishness and everything else. And so big decisions like who you marry, where you work, these things that overwhelm us. But they are also part of God's good plan. And so as we we come to those points, we, we obey His commands as far as they, they are revealed, but we also trust his guidance because God didn't put in his, his Bible, Steve, marry Amy. Okay? We trust in his goodness. Pray. Prepare and be proactive. That's really how we go through this process, knowing that he's in control of it. God's control and presence will free us, not from responsibility, but to act responsibly. Let's pray. Father, this is such a mystery. And we bow down before you who ordains whatsoever comes to pass. This you have revealed to us uh, clearly, I believe, in your scriptures. And yet you've also revealed that you don't violate our wills because we see people in scripture making decisions. This you have also revealed to us. But we 
we wrestle with the how, and really we're not don't have to worry about the how. That's really not important. What's important is that you help us to trust you. The trust that you have the authority, that you are in control, and that you are present with us by the power of your Spirit. Help us to trust you as we face these decisions, big and small. To know that you are at work in us to accomplish your good purposes that are revealed to us in the gospel. And so now we ask this in the name of Jesus, who saves sinners and sanctifies saints. Amen.